When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm really hoping that when kids read my books that it, it, it creates a pattern of, of reading for them that, that might extend through their lifetimes. I think that when a kid reads a book and gets to the end, it creates a feeling of satisfaction and, and closure. And I really, uh, I would like to hope that, that kids will remember what that feels like, even if they move away from reading, but that later on in their life, that they'll pick up a book and remember the, the simple joy of just finishing a book. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's guest is none other than the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Diary of an Awesome Friendly Kid series, Jeff Kinney. He is a six-time Nickelodeon Kids Choice Award winner for favorite book and has been named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People in the World. He's also the creator of Pop Tropica, which was named one of Time's 50 Best Websites. He spent his childhood in the Washington, D.C. area and later moved to New England, where he and his wife own a bookstore, An Unlikely Story. Filled with laugh-out-loud hilarious text and cartoons, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series follows Greg Heffley as he records the daily trials and triumphs of friendship, family life, and middle school where undersized weaklings have to share the hallways with kids who are taller, meaner, and already shaving. On top of all that, Greg must be careful to avoid the dreaded cheese touch. The first book in the series was published in 2007 and became instantly popular for its relatable humor. Today, more than 275 million copies have been sold around the world. Before I share the conversation with Jeff Kinney, here's the synopsis for the latest book in the series, No Brainer. In No Brainer, book 18 of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series from number one international best-selling author Jeff Kinney, it's up to Greg to save his crumbling school before it's shuttered for good. Up until now, middle school hasn't exactly been a joyride for Greg Heffley. So, when the town threatens to close the crumbling building, he's not too broken up about it. But when Greg realizes this means he's going to be sent to a different school than his best friend, Rowley Jefferson, he changes his tune. 
Can Greg and his classmates save their school before it's shuttered for good? Or is this the start of a whole new chapter for Greg? Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Growing Readers podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I just have so many questions and directions that we could go in today. So it almost felt impossible to decide where to start. So okay. <laughs> I'm just going to come at you with a multi-layered uh, question here. I know that you didn't grow up wanting to be a children's book author. Your dream was to become a newspaper cartoonist. So I want right. to know... What about being a newspaper cartoonist excited you as a kid? And did you always love to read, write and draw? Or was there like a specific comic strip that caught your attention as a child that kind of made you want to go down that path? Yeah, great question. Um, when I was growing up in Fort Washington, Maryland, uh, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., our newspaper was the Washington Post. And so every day that I went downstairs uh, to eat my breakfast, eat my cereal, my father had already um, opened the newspaper to the comic section. And so that was always greeting me uh, growing up. Um, I also, I also love to read, uh, comic books, but very specifically Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comic books that were written by Carl Barks. Those were the only ones that I really read. And so those two things had a big influence on me. You know, Charles Schultz's Peanuts and Bill Watterson's Calvin Hobbs, uh, Gary Larson's The Far Side, Brooke Brethard's um, Bloom County. Those were the newspaper comics that I loved the most. And then, of course, I loved Carl Barks's Duck Stories. So that's those things had a big influence on me and and they made me want to become a cartoonist myself. I love that. I have really vivid memories of my dad reading the newspaper and I would hear him laughing and I'd have to come running to, to see which comic it was. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we kind of miss that a little bit with not getting newspaper deliveries. We read all our newspaper on online right now. We have like the New York yeah. Times subscription. And, and so that sitting down and opening the newspaper, I feel my kids have missed that a little bit. Yeah, and it's sad. Of course, there are so many things that have changed for the better in our world, but there are a lot of things that have um, that that we've really lost something. Um, you know, like record stores, for example. It's like, yes, you can you can get your music right now at the at the you know at the touch of a finger. Um, but it was better to to go into a record store and to talk to the clerk and to to you know run your hands through the uh, you know the, the the LPs and look at the great artwork and and listen to the music on the overhead speakers like all these things have gone away uh, for the most part and um and we miss those things yeah absolutely well we miss them so much that uh, one of our kiddos got a record player for christmas last year <laughs> right. and we have a record store in um, boulder nice. colorado that we love to go visit for the records nice. but well, so you attended the University of Maryland in the early 1990s, and you ran a comic strip in the campus newspaper. And it has such a, a cool name that's fun to say that I want to make sure I pronounce <laughs> it right. Is Igdoof. That's right. Igdoof is right. Perfect. Yes. And so I think that's what solidified your interest in being a cartoonist. So I would love for you to tell me about that experience and your efforts to get your comic strip syndicated after college. 
Sure. Well, it has a sad ending. I will give you a spoiler. Um, but I, I didn't become a, a syndicated newspaper cartoonist, but I I had every feeling that I would. So I, I started my my comic Igdoof at uh, Villanova, where I went for one year, and then I brought it with me to the University of Maryland. And we had a great newspaper called The Diamondback, which was a daily. And I believe at the at its height, it, the, the circulation must have been about 30,000 thousand daily. Um, and it really felt like everybody read the Diamondback every day. So it was a, a big part of the life lifeblood of our um, of our campus. Um, if you went into the dining hall, everybody always had the Diamondback spread out before them. So um, I wanted to be a part of that. I, you know, doing comics was a huge distraction for me because I was a computer science major and I basically, you know, failed out of my major because I was, I was more interested in, in doing a comic every day. And I, I did that for two and a half years, I think it was. And I got a lot of attention. The Baltimore Sun, the Washington Post wrote articles about this this comic strip and how it was going to become the next big thing in comics. And of course, I believed that and you know thought, thought that when I stepped out into the real world, I'd become a, a real life uh, cartoonist. But it didn't happen for me. It was um, a combination of things, uh, mostly that I didn't have the the skills to be, uh, you know, a, a professional artist. And, um, and then newspapers were starting to contract. And, and so the opportunities were becoming less and less. And um, so I just didn't, I wasn't able to, to land that. Um, so I, I tried for about three years, didn't get any kind of encouragement and and decided to go in a different direction and, you know, and worked on Diary of a Wimpy Kid for, for eight years uh, before I showed it to anyone. But that's that, you know, my failure to become a newspaper cartoonist eventually turned into success on on the printed page. I love also what you said in there is that you, you really believed that that you could do it, that you could be a comic strip creator and obviously to have that self-belief to keep going is so important. Where do you, where do you think you got that level of self-belief from? Did it come from the people that were believing in you from the outside? Was it something intrinsic within you? Like where did that self-belief come from? Yeah, I got a lot of validation from the readers of, of the Diamondback. You know, I could see people laughing at my strip and reading in the dining hall. And I also got, you know, other other um, forms of validation along the way. And I, I didn't always hit it out of the park. And, you know, sometimes my jokes didn't land. But I knew that generally speaking that that I, I, I was a I was a pretty good joke writer. I, again, I wasn't a good artist. And, you know, and I don't think that I ever could have achieved what Burke Breathed has achieved or or Bill Watterson has achieved like I just didn't have that uh, technique I'm not a fine artist um, so when I you know came up with the idea for for Greg Heffley and Diary of a Wimpy Kid I had to, to sort of really embrace my limitations as an artist and draw as a middle school kid um, so that's that's where I was able to be successful is to kind of stop striving for this adult expression uh, artistic expression and embrace something that was a little bit simpler. In our house, we have like the Calvin and Hobbes collections. Mm, my kids yeah. love all the Garfield books. And so mm -hmm. my youngest is eight and he, you know, he's thrived on Captain Underpants and Dogman mm -hmm. and his go-to books right now are Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, I mean, cool. 
Yeah. Every night when we fill out his school journal and we have to say, what, <laughs> I'm like, what are you reading today for 30 minutes? And he's like, Diary of a Whippy Kid. Uh, <laughs> so my next question, I had to have him ask it. He had to leave for school. So I recorded his question. So I'm going to play it for you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kai Schultz. And I'd like to know where you got the idea for Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That's a great question. Um, where I got the idea from, I at the time that I was working on my my newspaper comic submissions, I was keeping a journal to kind of keep myself held to account. I was trying to make sure that I really was doing the work every day instead of playing video games and things like that. So I kept this journal and my journal looked a lot like the Diary of Wimpy Kid books. It was uh, text and illustrations. And if you opened up one of my journal pages, you would say, wow, that looks really familiar. That's how I got the idea for uh, a different form of cartooning. Um, I call it long form cartooning. And um, that's what, luckily my journals gave me the, the very idea I needed to become a successful writer. So you worked on the Diary of a Wimpy Kid ideas for, you said, was it eight years? Yeah, it was about eight or nine years total. That's right. Okay. And so, and before it became the book series, I believe you were publishing it online in daily installments on funbrain.com. So That's right. were you hoping by posting it there that you would get a book deal or what was your thinking in, in that era when you were just creating the stories? That was just a way to make myself do the work. Um, Funbrain, I worked for the company that owned Funbrain and I just saw it as an opportunity to to force myself to work every day. And I got I got a lot of validation from that because we had a huge uh, audience. And I think that by the time I was finished writing my my book online, I had, I had accrued something like 20 million uh, unique readers. Um, so it was, um, you know, it was a great way to it, it, it was a great way to get my work in front of people to see what was working, uh, to get some validation. And so it was uh, that that was a huge step for me in, in my path to becoming an author. Well, and so I know that your first book deal wasn't just for one book. It was like a multi book deal. So yep. I, I have to imagine, I mean, I guess it's every author's dream to get the multi-book deal. But mm -hmm. were you just going for like a one-book deal and it happened to end up being multi-book deal? Or was that your angle the whole time you wanted the multi-book deal? Yeah, it's it's a kind of a funny story is that I just, you know, when I wrote Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I imagined it as just one big book. So I thought that it would be a minimum of 700 pages long, like this brick. You know, that's what I wanted to do. And I also thought that it would be in the humor section of the bookstore, not the kids section. So I, I thought that it would, um, you know, that it would attract a grown up audience. So my publisher told me that they said that I'd actually not written a book for, for adults who like humor, but actually a, a series for kids, um, which was a little bit mind blowing because I had never thought of it as a kid's book. Uh, believe it or not. And I also never thought of it as a series. Um, so my publisher, uh, when they told me that I really had to think about it, um, because this was not what I had planned. That being said, of course, I'm, I'm thrilled that the the books were published for for kids. But at that moment of getting that multiple, uh, you know, the multi book contract, 
it was cool, but I had a lot of dissonance uh, because it wasn't it wasn't a part of my plan. But of course, that's like very exciting to say, hey, I'd, I'd like to get my book published and for them to say, how about three? I will say the advances were pretty low. <laughs> so it wasn't like <laughs> it didn't it wasn't life changing money, but it was, um, you know, of course, I was an unproven author. So that's just that's sometimes it's what you get. Right, exactly. Well, so now you you had the multi book deal and the first Diary of a Wimpy Kid book came out in 2007 and it ended up as an instant bestseller. So like, what were you thinking at this point when it was just successful right out of the gate? Yeah, that was really super exciting. And I remember my wife and I, we lived in a really tiny house. And, um, you know, I remember us just sort of jumping up and down the bed because it was so exciting. And it was it was funny because my books landed at number seven on the New York Times list. And then it went to number eight and then number nine. And and I was like, OK, well, here here it goes and it's going to go off the list. And, and but, you know, at my high school re- reunion or whatever, I can always say I was a New York Times bestselling author. Um, so I was, I, you know, it was really fantastic and, and I had no idea that it would sort of rebound, um, and, and climb up the list and then eventually get to number one. So it's been, uh, that that's been pretty wild. Like it's, in fact, it's been sustained, um, since the book came out in, in, uh, 2007, I think it's only been off the list for maybe about three or four weeks total in, in the past, um, 16 years. So it's a it's a real privilege to 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 have that kind of um, longevity. And, and, you know, I really pinch myself every day about it. Yeah, that is just so incredible. I I think you've even maybe surpassed the time that Harry Potter has been on the list, either in the series bestseller or it's it's really close anyway. Yeah, it's it's funny because what that's a little bit of um, it, it. yeah, I, I think I've been on the series list one more week than Harry Potter, um, which is hilarious because the reason the series list was created was because the um, the Harry Potter books were hogging all of the fiction slots. Um, so other <laughs> other authors were having trouble breaking into the fiction list. And so they created this new list, which is uh, well, they create a bunch of new lists, <laughs> including um, the series list. So even after she had been on the on the New York Times list for you know weeks and weeks and years and years um they reset her to zero <laughs> when she got on the series list and so even though it looks like i've been on longer the truth is, is that she's been on longer by a factor of, of years i feel as though um you're gonna have to stick with me for here because i just want listeners to just really get the full idea of how popular this series is, even though I'm sure they all know. And beyond the fact that there's Disney movies and and we see Greg hovering over New York City on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> one, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this from your wimpykid.com website. But after just okay. one year, more than a hundred thousand copies were in print in the United States alone. With each subsequent book, in print numbers continue to grow both in the US and abroad. And there are now more than 275 million copies of the series in print worldwide. The Diary of a Wimpy Kid series has been a permanent fixture on the USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly bestseller lists. As we just said, the series has remained on the New York Times bestseller list since the publication of the first book for more than 775 weeks total. Um, That could be a little higher right now. And more than 350 weeks on the series list. And the books are currently available in 84 editions in 69 languages. 
And since its initial publication in 2007, the series has won many regional and national awards around the globe, including two Children's Choice Book Awards and six Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards for Favorite Book. And you've also been named one of Time Magazine's most influential people in the world. I mean, that's that is just so incredible. So so here's what I want to ask you, because you said just a moment ago that when you first started out, you didn't necessarily intend Diary of a Wimpy Kid for kids. So I want to know what impact do you hope Diary of a Wimpy Kid has had on all readers? And what do you hope the impact will continue to be on readers as you progress with the series? I'm really hoping that when kids read my books, that it, it, it creates a pattern of, of reading for them that, that might extend through their lifetimes. I think that when a kid reads a book and gets to the end, it creates a feeling of satisfaction and, and closure. And I, and I'm also really hopeful that my books have an influence on humor in general in the entertainment industry. I'm excited to hear about a kid who, who writes a book or becomes a writer for a television show that was influenced by my books, because that will be really interesting to see what somebody else brings to the table. So that's that's something I haven't gotten to experience yet, is seeing um, those readers turn into writers. But I, I'm excited to see that. And then in back to also the fact that you were writing for a more adult audience originally, now that you know the series is just beloved by so many kids, like what is your driving force as you continue on writing writing the books? Like what 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 really motivates you to just to keep going? Because 18 books is a lot of books to stick with, with the same yeah. characters. And so so what 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 keeps you motivated for the kids? Usually it's the small stories. You know, last year I was in Spain and I, I ran into a a teenager who is I think she must have been 19, 20, maybe 21 years old. And she said that every year she and her friend they get the new Wimpy Kid book and they take turns reading it to one another on uh, Christmas Eve. And that's their tra tradition. And I always remind myself, I say, that's that's why I'm writing. Even if even if the you know, the lights go down on me, um, it's still important to write the book for that that kind of a reason. You know, I've I've made money doing writing these books, of course, and, and I've had a lot of success, but it's it's really motivating to me um, for, for those those people that really enjoy the books for whom they're still special. Those are the people that that keep me motivated to keep going. Well, on top of creating books for kids, you created Pop Tropica, which was named one of Time's 50 Best Websites. And you, along with your wife and your two sons, own a bookstore in Plainville, Massachusetts, which is an unlikely story. And you also go on multi-state book tours with international visits with each new book release. So what's one thing that you do every day? that you think would be the most surprising or the most relatable to listeners? Mm. I, um, I don't do this every day, but I, 
often go to McDonald's and I go on my scooter and then I like uh, sit in the parking lot next to the dumpster and eat my chicken nuggets and listen to MSNBC on my phone um, while I'm also reading the news. You know, like I, I, I need all that stimulation, <laughs> McDonald's plus news plus, you know, listening to it and reading it and, and all that. And, uh, you know, right next to the dumpster so that when I'm done, I can throw my uh, you know, stuff right, right in the bin. So that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty good slice of life for me. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a closet McDonald's fan. Um, <laughs> my husband makes far too much fun of me, but my, my lucky number is seven. So I, I like to order the number seven, which is a cheeseburger <laughs> meal. <laughs> right. Do you uh, have any special, you know, it's like, okay, no pickles or any, any special part of your order? No, I'm a, I'm just a straight up, straight up. Give me the number seven with a Diet Coke. <laughs> okay, there we go. Diet Coke. I think the Diet Coke is a a hilarious like button to the whole order. It's like you know, it's like I want to you know after you get McDonald's, you're like, but I also want to be healthy. So a Diet Coke, please. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was like when I order a coffee with non-fat milk or a mocha, and then they're like, but right. do you want the whipped cream? And I'm like, yes, of course I want the whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that feel like a criminal? though like i mean it, it feels like so gluttonous it's like do you want the whipped cream on top of that it's like i i feel ashamed but yes i would like that you know yep. yes i would you like what, it a lot <laughs> you know what they call it in if you order mcdonald's in i'm sorry a coke in the uk uh oftentimes the people i travel with they say i'd like a coke full fat and i think that's like hilarious to say full fat but it that really is. is a thing yeah. That, I, I don't know that. So because I'm Australian, so a lot of British yeah. stuff kind of overlays, but I, that definitely is not an Australian thing. I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the default, like you can't even I tried to recently order a regular Coke at McDonald's through the kiosk thing. And I couldn't, I, it was only diet, only diet sodas. I don't know if it was just that McDonald's or if that's like a thing. But if you want full fat, you got to say the words. Wow. All right. Well, good, good tip. I hope to, I hope to visit McDonald's in, in UK so I can order a, a full fat Coca-Cola. <laughs> All right. Well, so I want to know, I, I, before I started the children's book review and the Growing Readers mm -hmm. podcast, I was a children's bookseller in Washington, D.C. in a oh, small cool. independent bookstore that is is no longer there. Um, mm. And so I want to know, what is it like running your bookstore an unlikely story with your family? It's um, it's probably less hands-on than it sounds. Um, my, my Actually, my kids have both worked here as booksellers, but I have never stood behind the counter and sold a book. I am uh, more of a bookstore owner, um, very involved at that level. But then also I play host to the authors who come through here. So pretty much you name it i've i've interviewed them on stage you know we get we get people from hillary clinton chelsea clinton john grisham to you know to like matthew mcconaughey etc um sometimes they're virtual sometimes they're in person but um we've had quite a number of authors in the past eight years and and so that's where i really intersect with the bookstore yeah, that's fantastic. I actually follow an unlikely story on Instagram, oh, cool. and I love seeing the little clips of authors that you've hosted there. And it, it, I've never been to your bookstore because I, mm. I've, I think I've only been to Massachusetts once a long time ago. Uh -huh. But it just looks just like the ideal, cozy. <laughs> just I, I just 
I love bookstores. So <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. We, what was, what's been really cool is that, uh, you know, I've gotten to go to so many bookstores. And in, in fact, I, I wonder who has been to more bookstores than me because I, I, I do tour a lot, but it's, you know, I got to kind of take the best of, of the ones that we visited. And, and, and in fact, the tattered cover is a great one out there in Colorado that we, that had an influence on our bookstore. And we, uh, and we just tried to take the best of of the places we've visited and put those and put those elements into our bookstore. Okay, so then I have to ask this since, you know, owner of the bookstore and maybe you're not hand selling the books, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that you're going to know an answer to this. So what are some of your favorite books and the booksellers in your store um, by other authors and illustrators that you guys just always have to keep on the shelves? Well, that's a great question. Well, the big Nate books have been really popular here. Uh, Dogman, of course, which you mentioned before. Uh, anything by Tui Sutherland is really popular. Uh, Dan Santat just won the National Book Award for uh, for his book, which is called um, First Time for Everything. And Love that book. He was actually on the podcast talking oh, about cool, that cool. earlier this year. It's, it's such oh, a great cool. book. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Babysitter Club books do really well. Um, of course, anything that's hot anywhere else is hot here. Like, so you're talking about the, uh, you know, Spare by, uh, is that what they ended up calling it? Spare by uh, uh, Prince Harry? Is that what they call oh, it in the US? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The okay. Spare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And th- those types of books, you know, the Britney Spears books, et cetera, whatever is popular everywhere is popular here. And you can always feel the effects of something that's got national attention when you when you walk through our bookstore. Well, I also know that you've been using your voice to bring attention to book banning and highlighting the importance of diversity in reading and and giving back to librarians. And, mm-hmm. and sort of little essence of that show up in your latest Diary of a Wimpy Kid, um, no brainer. So Just a bit, yeah. Do yeah. You, I, I read that you donated or, or will be donating $100,000 to libraries and that you made some surprise visits to libraries along your latest book tour. So I, just on those sort of bigger topics, and I feel like each one of those, like book banning and the importance of diversity and, and just how wonderful librarians are, are episodes each on their own. But just yeah. sort of in in a, in a nutshell, just tell me more about your your feelings of of, of giving back and and just making sure that the world of the, just the world in general that we live in is is diverse and accepting and inclusive and yeah um, yeah that is a that is a big question. Um, what's been becoming more obvious to me is that librarians are really on the front line of the culture wars and their their jobs are they're very vulnerable um, because sometimes a district will say that a certain book is is inappropriate and and the librarians have to make a choice do i keep my job or do i put this book on on the shelves which i think is is appropriate you know the overall effect of of book banning tends to be that you're removing books uh that are by non-white people or people who who live a little bit differently. And, and the effect of that is erasure because kids really need to see themselves positively represented in books. They need to see their 
their own experience reflected back to them. It's it's important for kids' mental health, and also um, important to for us as a society to reflect the diversity of of um, of the nation that that we're living in. Um, so on on my uh, book tour, we decided to celebrate librarians and to you know we we kind of create a game show format, and they could win money for their library, which was which was fun. But the 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 key to it was celebrating librarians who are you know in 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 a in a in a kind of a crisis right now um and um so it's i think that they need to be celebrated uplifted supported by authors by everybody in in society really because um if we're marching towards this world where we're going to have a, a few number of people uh determine what everybody else can read that's that's uh that's not a that's not a good place to be so that's why i've gotten a little bit more outspoken and i think that going into this year especially um i'll become i'll use my voice more yeah that's wonderful i just thank you so much for doing that thank you for obviously taking your level of success that you've had as being a children's book creator and doing your part to use your voice i think i think that's so wonderful that that you that you are doing that so thank you thank you i appreciate that and i i think that i'm not doing enough and it's um you know i i'm planning on ramping that up awesome okay well we obviously we can't end our chat because we haven't really taken a deeper dive into the latest Diary of the Olympic Kid <laughs> no-brainer. So, so why don't you just share a, a few thoughts that you have about, about writing it? It could be you can share what made you tell this specific story. Uh, feel free to maybe share a highlight from the book tour, like maybe something a kid shared with you about, about no-brainer. That would be amazing. Mm, yeah, no brainers. Um, I, I realized that I've kind of moved away from the school setting in my books. You know, my last book was about a rock and roll band. And the one before that was about sports. And uh, the one before that was vacation. So it's been a while since I really took a you know, spent a book in the, in school. And um, so I decided to really fully embrace that and to really just write about school. And so I, in, in, in a way I made the, the school, the main character of the book. And what I was sort of surprised uh, by was that the book ended up becoming really a, a satire and, and a kind of a commentary on the education system and the the sort of a, the unfortunate uh, and unintentional hilarity of of adults trying to do the right thing and, and things coming out a little bit upside down. So this book touches on topics like book banning, uh, budget cuts, underperformance on standardized test scores, and all these other things that that aren't typical wimpy kid fair, but I thought it was fun to really send up the education system. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, it tonally, it feels a little bit different than most wimpy kid books, but I think it's, um, it, it stands on its own. It stands on its merits. And it's, uh, it's one of my favorite of the wimpy kid books, actually. And it, it, what's funny is I don't actually get a ton of feedback from kids, um, just because of the nature of touring, um, especially the way that that I tour now where I do kind of do a show on a stage and I'm not really meeting a lot of kids face to face. So in that, that might surprise you that for most of my books, I don't get any, almost any feedback directly from kids. So I, I just hope have to hope that I've done a good job and hope that they keep reading. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, that the kids love it. And, and <laughs> if awesome. you were, yeah, if you if you were, you'd be getting some amazing feedback. And I, I also have to say that after reading No Brainer, I, I mean, I just think 
that these books work on such a great level. I mean, the the humor is so kid friendly, but it also really resonates with the grown up readers as well. So I just highly recommend that oh, any any adults that who have kids that are reading these books and 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 you want to know what they're about, pick it up and read it because it's <laughs> funny. It's like it goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning, where, where you know the the little comic strips and 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 those little pockets of humor. I mean. I just adults need to not lose touch with that. So, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very encouraging. Well, as we get closer to the end of our chat, I have to ask you, is there a question that you wished you'd get asked in an interview <laughs> that you've never been asked? I don't think so. I like it when people are frank and they ask me questions about, um, you know, things that they really want to know about. Because a lot of times, you know, when kids ask a question, they're really asking a question they think, well, that adults want, want you know, to be asked. Uh, so I think it's like, uh, you know, sometimes hilarious when people ask questions that they're actually curious about. And, you know, even you at the beginning of the interview were asking about what that was like in those early days. Of, and I don't often get asked questions like that. So it's um, it's fun to just about, you know, I'm, I'm happy to answer just about any questions. So um, and if you had an oddball one that you weren't sure if you should ask, uh, feel free to fire away. <laughs> I don't I don't have an oddball. I'm sure the minute that we uh, right. go our separate ways today, that something will pop in. I'll be like, oh, right. I should have asked Jeff that question. <laughs> um, all right. Well, then let me ask you this. What is the one most important point that you would love Growing Readers listeners to take away from our discussion today? If just out of everything we spoke about, they took away one thing, what, yeah. what would you want that to be? I'd love for uh, for kids to give books a chance that have characters that don't look like them, that didn't grow up like them, that have a funny sounding name. Uh, you know that I, I'd love I'd love for kids to expose themselves to more. I think it's just really important for us to have empathy for one another, to understand one another, and there's nothing better than a book to deliver that kind of an experience. So when you read about somebody who, who, who didn't share the same experience you share, you had growing up, that's what really makes you a more interesting person, uh, you know, a, a, and a more, uh, a fuller person. So that's, that's what I ask kids to do. Pick up a book about somebody or, or by somebody who's not like you because you'll become a better person for having read it. Yes, I love that. Well, Jeff, on that note, thank you so much for writing the kind of books that kids just gobble up like cookies because I think that's it's so important that we we have kids that read for pleasure. So to, to piggyback on what you said, yes, please read books that are about people that are different from us, that have different experiences. This is how we get curious about the world. But it's also great to have a book that just is easy to read. It makes you laugh. And I mean, kids just love rereading your books too. They, they'll they like read it like 10, 10 times, like over and over. So <laughs> thank you for writing those books. Oh, and thank you. thank you so much for just giving us your time today and for being on the show. Well, thank you. And thank you for giving authors like me a platform. It's really um, lovely. And, and thank you very much. I hope, hope I get to meet you in person one of these days. That would be great. And ideally, I would like that to be a, an unlikely story. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Come on out.
Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order copies of Jeff Kinney's No Brainer, book 18 of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. For more information about Jeff Kinney and his books, visit wimpykid.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.